Today we talk about opioids, or is it opiates? I'm not sure how you say it exactly. Dress codes, new blood pressure guidelines, and much, much more. I'm Jimmy Giroux, and you're listening to the Public Fitness Podcast. Today we talk about opioids, or is it opiates? I'm not sure how you say it exactly. Dress codes new blood pressure guidelines, and much, much more. I'm Jimmy Giroux, and you're listening to the Public Fitness Podcast. So we'll start with our question of the day. Um, this question comes from Seth in Indianapolis, Indiana. It reads, Jimmy, I've lost about 60 pounds. Congrats. And would like to lose 20 more. I currently run for 30 minutes, 4 to 5 days per week. I also do upper body weight training on those days and do a total body workout on Sundays. I would like to do a HIT program. It's high intensity interval training because I think... That will help me get through this plateau. So he's in a plateau. What's the best weekly training schedule based on what I'm doing now? Where would that HIT fit in? So like I said, HIT is High Intensity Interval Training, H-I-I-T. And I'm not sure that there's a, an official definition of it, but the overarching theme of it is that you alternate intense bouts of work with some type of submaximal rest period. And so the biggest thing within a HIIT workout to monitor is your work-to-rest ratio. Um, that is work-to-rest. So, for example, if you were doing a 1-2 to work-to-rest ratio, you would, for example, sprint for 30 seconds or I'm sorry, sprint for 15 seconds and then walk for 30. So you kind of get the idea there. At least that's what we're talking about in Seth's uh, scenario. So the question is, where would HIT fit in? What would like an ideal training schedule be based on his situation? First of all, he's doing an awesome job. He's lost 60 pounds, and if you have 20 more to go, I would I would say you were you were pretty up there. So nice job. Um, if you're doing an upper body weight training day, four to five days a week, and only one total body workout, I think the first thing I would address is making that more balanced. So I don't know. Without looking at your program, it's hard to really say specifically. Um, but the first thing I would address is is making those workouts, those resistance training workouts, more total body, right? So you don't want to be all upper body and then just do lower body one day a week. Uh, you want so you want a little more balance there. Um, it's awesome that you're running for 30 minutes on those days, but what I worry about is that it's a slow state uh, workout, and that you you might be breaking down muscle, which is gonna 
hurt you in the long run, especially at the point where you're at, where you're trying to lose that last 20. Uh, muscle is metabolic, so it might not burn calories um, when you are working out, kind of like traditional cardio does, but you're going to be burning calories you know, throughout the day because your muscle fibers have to rebuild. Uh, enough of that. So training schedules. What I would do in your case, assuming you have Monday through Friday to work out, something you might look at is Monday, resistance training, total body. Tuesday, high-intensity interval training, assuming that you're doing a running program and you still want to run. I would make that running. Uh, Wednesday, I would go back to resistance training, probably a different workout, but still total body complementary of your Monday workout. And then Thursday, I'd probably go back to that hit. Take Friday and Saturday off, <clears throat> uh, maybe even Sunday, and use that weekend to recover. What you might do on those quote-unquote recovery days is foam roll, stretch, maybe do some light cardio, you know, go on a short jog or take a walk outside. But that's what I do. I, I want to alternate. In your situation, probably I want to alternate the interval days and I want to alternate the resistance training days but you're still getting those two types of um, stimuli. Uh, and I think that would probably be, without looking at you specifically, I think that would be the best way to go. So Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday, give your body some time to rest. Again, it all depends on the person. That's what all my answers are probably going to be starting as it depends. Um, but that's what I would say. So I hope that helps, man. Nice job. If you would like to ask us a question, you reach out to me, Jimmy Giroux, or Public Fitness on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, jimmygiroux.com, or publicfitness.org. Uh, now we get into some news, some health-ish news. So it's been big news recently. Um, they recently came out with some new blood pressure guidelines. And so you may have seen that on the news or read about it. Uh, and I just kind of want to dig into it a little bit, tell you what that means for maybe you and, and for society. And it's really, it's just a numbers change. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pull up one of the news releases here. And it looks like the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology released these as joint guidelines. I went to print the PDF today, and it was 438 pages, so I decided not to print it. Um, so make sure you don't make that mistake. So the big thing here is... Uh, any, anyone with a blood pressure higher than 130 over 80, that's top number, systolic, 130, bottom number, 80, diastolic, um, you'll be considered to have hypertension or high blood pressure. And so blood pressure of 120 over 80 or above is now considered elevated. And then, like I said, 130 over 80 to 139 over 89 is now considered stage 1 hypertension. And then so on, stage 2, stage 3, there are other numbers. 
I guess the big thing to know on this is previously people were not considered to have high blood pressure until the top reading hit 140. Uh, normal hasn't changed, but and so they're still saying that it's great and is normal to have a systolic blood pressure reading below 120 and a diastolic reading under 80. Um, but they just really changed some numbers more than anything, or some wording more than anything. I don't know the reasoning why they've chosen to do this. Um, I think it makes sense. Uh, I, I think 120 over 80 is kind of, to me, always been, or below I mean 120 over 80 has always been kind of the benchmark in my eyes, but we were obviously taught with the old guidelines. And again, I don't know if there's like an underlying reason why they've done this, but I feel like it's pretty accurate. I think it's a good indicator. Based on people I've assessed, those numbers seem to align with a person's health. Uh, there are obviously genetic factors that play into that, but I think these are really good guidelines. I think it's a good idea. I don't think I don't think we should be lax with our recommendations and our guidelines, especially at a point now where obesity is where it is, cardiovascular disease, diabetes is where it is. Um, so I'm on board. Uh, blood pressure of 120 over 80 or above is now considered elevated with 130 over 80 to 139 over 89 being stage 1. So know those numbers. Uh, you, can, you can get it tested at so many places. You can even buy your own machine from like Walmart or CVS. They're pretty cheap now, and most of them are pretty accurate now too. So that's all I have to say about that. And moving on, the next health news is coffee research indicating heart health. Sorry if you hear that weird sound, that's my dog drinking water. Um, so there's been, since 1940 actually, research to research looking at the health benefits of coffee. And so I went ahead and pulled up this recent news headline from November 13th and you know, it's it's one of those things where you never know what to trust. Um, I could probably easily just find a bad research study saying how coffee is bad for your heart health. Uh, you guys know how it is, but this particular research seems seems pretty well respected and legit. But again, just take this research with a grain of salt, if you will. Make your own conclusions based on what you've read and what you understand about your own body. Um, but what this says is every extra cup of coffee consumed per day reduces certain symptoms of well-known conditions by a small percentage, or depending on how you look at it, a large percentage. They're all under 10. And it, but it says respectively up to at least six cups per day, which to me, like, I know it depends on the person, you know, a variety of other factors. Six cups is a little excessive, and I love coffee. And so it's looking at uh, a lower risk of heart failure, a lower risk of stroke, coronary heart disease. Uh, and it's saying that this particular research study, the long-term study, found that 
every cup of every extra cup of coffee consumed per day reduced heart failure by 8%, stroke by 7%, and coronary heart disease by 5%. And so I feel like that's that's pretty significant. Um, if there are holes in it, it's I think it's enough to say, hey, coffee probably has some good benefits as long as you don't have um, like a personal biological objection to it. There are obviously certain things where you would want to avoid coffee uh, or at least limit it. I know people with um, like cardiac electro cardiac electrophysiology issues, so like an arrhythmia or irregular heartbeat, that kind of thing, some serious some serious issues that are hard to manage at times. Caffeine can really, really throw those people off. Um, I've had clients who couldn't drink caffeine, couldn't drink alcohol, nothing, because it would throw them into AFib, which is not, not a fun thing to go through, apparently. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I feel about that. I'm a big coffee drinker. Everything in moderation, I mean, depending on how you feel and, and what you do, day to day I think I think coffee is I think coffee is probably good for you to a certain degree what I don't think is good for us beyond coffee and tea are like other types of caffeine sources that have been increasingly popular the last decade so like monster energy drinks <clears throat> I shouldn't say monster energy drinks I have nothing against monster credit to them it's the first thing that comes to mind um, but energy drinks and um, even like supplements, like your pre-workouts, I think you could maybe calm those down a little bit. And I know people who drink two or three canned energy drinks, let's call them a day. And I didn't, uh, I didn't study this or anything, but it seems like that would be a bad idea. So there you have it. Coffee research, heart health, stroke, look into it. And our last bit of news I thought was pretty funny. It's on the lighter side, um, and it made me think of it made me think of something uh, in my own experience, not exactly related. But so the University of North Dakota Wellness Center, if that's random enough for you, the new dress code specifically targets upper body garments. Um, so it states that students will no longer be allowed to wear quote unquote shirts that have an armpit gap that is less than the palm of your hand or shirts that quote unquote expose skin below the bra line and back and so it didn't really make me think of dress codes in gyms um, or what hilarious things I've seen people wear to the gym in my career it made me think of more like hygiene for some reason and I've seen a lot more issues with member hygiene than with um, dress code. And so I, I have a couple stories, and maybe this will inspire you to not be that guy or gal at the gym. So one story is difficult conversation. Guy comes into the gym every single day, which is awesome. He's committed to you know, lifelong health, a healthy lifestyle. But his, after about 10 minutes on his cardio machine, this small gym would just reek of body odor. And it was quite obvious, being a small gym and given his schedule, that 
the body odor was coming from him. And so I don't know how you handle this. I've I've encountered it twice at two different facilities and neither time neither time I've uh addressed the person individually. I think the way we did handle it and I guess how you could address it without addressing it individually is to send just a general member email and be as specific as possible without calling anyone out, obviously. Uh, they might read that and be like, oh, maybe I should wear deodorant. Some people have some people have objections to deodorant, believe it or not. I've learned that. Um, I've learned that by talking to some different people. So that's one thing that I've encountered. It's kind of, it's entertaining at first, but at a certain point, especially if you're in a small facility, it can be, it can be pretty bad. So if you're a gym goer, be aware of that. And if you work at a gym, you know, be aware of that too. Tread lightly, be empathetic, obviously. The other thing was not body odor, but sour clothes. So we've all, we've all been there, especially if you played sports like I did. You wear the same clothes every day, every week. After a while, they start to smell sour. And so we had an issue once where this person trained for a marathon and cranked on the fan in front of the treadmill and it just completely spread the smell throughout the facility. And again, quite obvious that that was that was the case. So gym goers, people who work at gyms, be uh be aware of the sour clothes. And then obviously with especially you runners out there, short shorts, think about what you're uh think about how what you're wearing could negatively impact the people around you's day and that's all I'll say about that so short shorts we want to um, kind of be mindful of what well, I guess that's dress code be mindful of what you're exposing your neighbors to anyways I thought that was entertaining kind of a kind of a light way to end the news portion of public fitness Closing thoughts. So I just wanted to close out by talking a little bit about the U.S. opioid epidemic. Um, I don't need to throw out any stats. You guys know how bad it is. I mean, since 2015 or in 2015 alone, and I know these numbers have incredibly increased, you know, 33,000 plus people have died from overdose. Uh, and I know that I know that number has greatly increased since 2015. So it's been something that's on my mind. It's obviously public health news. Um, my personal experience. My personal experience is uh, I'm from a small town, not incredibly small, but you know, a, a 10 to 12,000 population type of town, old industrial town that really, really got just crushed by the 08 uh, recession and, and factories long before that leaving town for Mexico and China. So it's just, it's just devastated towns like that all across the country. The numbers are staggering, especially if you look at the 
the overdoses per capita. I mean, it's it's incredible. A very large percentage of towns like my hometown have been have been crushed by the opioid epidemic. Um, and I know a lot of people have different opinions on addiction and and heroin in particular. But this is a public health crisis, and I don't know the solution. If you haven't been affected by this epidemic, be grateful. Uh, if you know someone who has, be empathetic. So that's all I that's all I can say about that. I just wanted to bring it up because I like to include as much news as possible, and I want this podcast to be positive. But but I couldn't not talk about it in one of these early episodes because it's something that's on my mind a lot. And um, I just want you to know that it's something that I'm going to continue to monitor because it is, it's a health and fitness issue, undoubtedly. So enough of that depressing stuff. I want you guys to have a great day, have a great week. If I don't talk to you guys before the Thanksgiving holiday, have a great holiday with your family. Uh, be grateful. I'm grateful for you for listening. Eat well and prosper. This episode was brought to you by Fall Creek Fitness. Fall Creek Fitness is a concierge-style personal training company owned by me, Jimmy Giroux. We offer in-home training and online training for busy people. Whether you're with us in central Indiana or abroad, we can help you achieve your health and fitness goals. Learn more at fallcreekfitness.com or jimmygiroux.com. That's G-I-R-O-T.